that we could never afford our sins they are many his mercy is more come on let's sing it here we go praise the lord his mercy is more stronger than darkness Born our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Come on, His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness, you ever mourn our sins, they are many. His mercy is to the Father that He is the one who gives mercy and forgiveness I love this song and Sarah is going to lead us this morning with this song it's a wonderful song I've carried a burden for too long on my own I wasn't created to bear it alone. I hear your invitation to let it all go. Surgeon, 
My soul needs a friend, so I run to the Father again and again and again and again. morning just running to your open arms knowing that you will take care of us you've loved us thus far and we know that we can run to you for forgiveness and mercy and grace and so lord thank you so much for giving us that opportunity that that privilege to come to you in that way as our father and so lord we come before you this morning wanting to ask you to open our hearts that we may hear from you in a special way today, Lord, that, that, it'll, that it'll make us different people because we have encountered you, Lord, today. We pray that. I pray for, for Tim as he comes and brings your message. I pray that you'll fill him with your Holy Spirit and just speak through him this morning and pierce our hearts for your name's sake. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you, Todd and the band. Good morning. This morning we're going to begin a three-week series on forgiveness. The heart of the gospel, the, the heart of the gospel message to us is that a, a perfect, loving, holy God offers us forgiveness of sins. You see, that message, it's evident in the life of Christ. It's evident in the early church. Uh, we see it in his preaching. We see it uh, when he heals people, we see it just when Jesus is interacting with people. Uh, one time would be in Luke 7 when he's interacting with Simon the Pharisee and, and he begins having a conversation with him uh, over a meal. 
and a woman that's described as a sinner comes to that meal. She washes the feet of Jesus with her hair. And Jesus, we know, says two things to her. That your sins are forgiven and that your faith has saved you. In Matthew 26, when Jesus is with his disciples um, celebrating the, the Last Supper, he says he, he took a cup and when he had given thanks to them, he said, drink of it, all of you, for this is the blood of the covenant, uh, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus made that message a priority. Uh, all through the book of Acts, we can see that this is this forgiveness of sins message is a priority in the gospel. We see it in, in Acts chapter 2 and in 5, chapter 10, chapter 13, and again in chapter 6. I'm going to just read a couple of them. In Acts chapter 2, uh, this is Peter's sermon at Pentecost. He's, he's describing the gospel, sharing the love of God, and he says this in verse 38. Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. A few chapters later, in Acts chapter 10, Peter is sharing with Cornelius, the centurion, with, and, and describing how Jesus was sent by God and how Jesus had been put to death on a tree. And he finishes that interaction with this, beginning in verse 42. He said, And he commanded us, it's Jesus, commanded us to preach to the people, to testify to the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. You see, the heart of the gospel is forgiveness of sins. And we can see over and over in the early church and the life of Jesus that they made it a focus, they made it a priority, it was what they were passionate about. And in our passage today, Paul wants to remind us of the gospel, that we should never get over the gospel, what Jesus has done for us. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The verses uh, will also be on the screen. But as you're turning there, uh, Paul is writing this letter to the believers in the church in the city of Corinth. Um, he planted this church on his second missionary journey. The church is roughly five to eight years old, but Paul is then taking the time to stop, remind them of the grace of the gospel. See, I don't ever want to get over the gospel, right? I don't ever want to think um, it's, it's old. Um, I don't want to get tired of hearing about it. I don't want to think I've arrived, that I no longer need the gospel. Uh, I, don't, you know, I, I don't want to be a place where I feel like I don't need it. The reality is we need to preach the gospel, that message of forgiveness, to ourselves every day. See, the first thing in this passage that I want you to see in 1 Corinthians 15 is that Paul reminds them of the centrality of the gospel. See, the centrality of the gospel. The reality is life is messy, life is hard, it's difficult. We need to remember that the central focus of our lives is the gospel message. See, Paul had spent a, a bigger part of the book, a bigger part of the letter, writing to them about their issues. Um, they had had um, issues with divisions in the church and sexual immorality, uh, principles for marriage. He'd written about food that had been offered to idols and the use of spiritual gifts. Um, he's getting ready to address here later in this passage uh, an issue about the resurrection. And so life is messy, it's difficult. And in the midst of this messy, difficult life, we need to remind our brothers and sisters about the forgiveness of God. So let me read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, starting in verse 1 there. It says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, 
which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. You see, Paul begins by showing us that the gospel isn't something that just happened as a one-time event, but that it has a past, present, and a future aspect in our lives. You see, Paul writes this there, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received. You see, if you have received something, it's something that you have, something that's already taken place. And so they had received the gospel message of forgiveness and salvation when Paul had first planted the church. So this moment of salvation uh, is often referred to in Scripture as your conversion or as justification or as regeneration. You see, it's, it's at this point that your sins are forgiven and you are a new creation in Christ. You see, Paul uses this past tense languages, language not only here, he uses it earlier in chapter 6, and he describes there a list of sinners, the activities that they've done, and he says that they were uh, washed, that they were um, at that point justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. So Paul is referring to something that had already taken place in their lives. You see, I've got a, a chart here. You can see there in the first column it says, which you received. So this is the, the part of the gospel that has happened in the past for them. He's reminding them of what Jesus has already done. You've already received this salvation that is described as justification in Scripture. The second part of the chart then is in, in verse 1 says this, In which you stand. In which you stand. So this phrase reveals the, the present tense activity of the gospel in our lives today. In which we stand today. You see, God is still saving me from my sins today. God is still saving you from your sins today. He's transforming our hearts in this present tense work of salvation. Um, we understand that God isn't done working in our lives. You see, uh, we often refer to this, then, as you can see in the chart, as sanctification. It's referring to our growing in our faith, our understanding of Scripture as we continue to grow and become more and more obedient to the Word of God as we understand who he is more. Finally, then the third part in verse 2 says, and by which you are being saved. See, this verb form carries with it a continual or a futuristic meaning. Um, the, the theologian David Garland explains this phrase as a present process with a future reality. You see, this is um, that we're going to continue to receive forgiveness by God's grace until the Lord's return, either until our life ends or the Lord returns. And so this process is called glorification. So you see, Paul begins reminding them of the gospel, saying, look, you have been forgiven, you are being forgiven today, and by God's grace we continue to receive forgiveness in the future until the Lord returns. He's showing them how the gospel is central in our lives. That's the key message in our lives. Paul's saying, no matter what you are facing, hold on to the gospel message. You see, he, he does uh, give a warning there. He says, unless you believed in vain, um, means that, that maybe uh, people hear the message of the gospel and they don't really believe. Maybe they rashly believe the, and they just haphazardly do it. And so, you know, I'm sure we've all seen people who have professed faith in Christ. They've made, uh, they say they've, they've trusted in Jesus, um, but we can see that there's there appears to be no life, no change in their life. We see that there appears to be no evidence of the fruit of the Holy Spirit that's described in Scripture. Um, nothing in their life looks like the process of sanctification is taking place. Um, we see no, no desire for them to gather with the body of Christ to worship. And so these are, are scriptural evidences that 
reveal that your faith is central in your life. And so Paul reminds them of the past, present, and future centrality of the gospel in their lives. But secondly, as this passage continues, I want you to see this, that Paul reminds them of the content of the gospel. Paul just stops just to remind them of the content of the gospel. Listen to verse 3. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. And he was buried, and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. You see, now Paul transitions just to explain the key components of the gospel. And I love how he he starts off in verse 3 by saying, this is the most important thing in our life. It's of first importance. We, We put a lot of value on things in life and believe a lot of things are important. But here's what Paul says, this is most important in your life. You see, Christ followers have been sharing the message of God's love, of his forgiveness for 2,000 years. And the gospel, which is central in our lives, is the most important message that we have to share. You see, Paul breaks the content of the gospel then into three main parts. He says that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day. So these truths he describes are in accordance with Scripture, referring to Old Testament passages that, de- that describe the coming of Christ, the suffering of Christ, his death on the cross, the, the speaking of the suffering that he'll experience. So Paul reminds them of these important truths that cannot be refuted. You see, at the, even then, some tried to claim that Jesus didn't die. Some tried to claim that his body was stolen, that he was never buried. Some tried to claim he never rose from the grave. But Paul says, as a matter of fact, reminding them of these scriptural truths Um, that these are the most important truths, the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ to which we have salvation, the forgiveness of our sins. I want to take just a moment to detour from this passage. I want to break down the gospel truths in a a few more pieces to make sure that we fully understand uh, what the uh, gospel-centered forgiveness looks like. So this is going to be a little bit like taking a family vacation and taking a detour to go to the Erie Canal Museum on your way to the Niagara Falls. That's a a true story uh, from my childhood. So Paul says in verse 3 that Christ died for our sins. He didn't die because he had fallen short. He didn't die because Jesus had messed up, because he had sinned, and he was paying his own punishment. He died in our place for our sins. That's why we need forgiveness. So Paul, uh, listen to these scriptures. So Paul, Paul explains in chapter 1 of Romans, he says that, that mankind has rejected God, that we have suppressed his truth, um, that we've placed ourselves in authority over our lives. Uh, we proceeded to live against the law of God, his decrees, knowing that we were wrong and giving approval of others to deny God the same way. He moves into chapter 2, describing uh, how God is holy and just and how God is our righteous judge. And that sometimes we put ourselves in the place of judge. We even want to judge others. But this holy, perfect, righteous judge um, uh, is our judge over our life. And only God's righteous judgment matters. So then you roll into chapter 3. And then here's what Paul writes. He gives us the reality in verse 10 that none is righteous. No, not even one. Not one understands. No one seeks for God. Um, All of us have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And then finally in Romans 3.23, we see the verse that all have sinned 
and fall short of the glory of God. So the Bible teaches us that all of us are sinners, that all of us have personally and individually rejected God. We have sinned against God, right? If you have children, you know that this is true. Um, We don't have to teach our kids to lie, right? Maybe they've broken something, or maybe they're trying to get out of trouble. We don't have to teach them to lie, right? They lie on their own. In fact, what we have to do is teach them to value truth, to be honest. So they, they're naturally sinners, right? Um, how many of you, if you, you've got kids, you know that they'll say uh, no. Now, how old were they when they told you no? It wasn't like they had to become 20. They say no at 20 a lot and at 15 a lot, but that happens months old. The first, I mean, as soon as they can speak, they begin to say no, right? They want to reject your authority. And so you, you work hard to, to teach them to, um, you know, to respect the authority figures, the teachers, parents, people in their lives that teach them to respect that authority, right? It doesn't take long for you to hear your kids say the word mine, right? Mine, mine, mine. And so they're naturally selfish. In fact, we work then to teach them to be kind, to share with others. See, no doubt about it, we're, we're all sinners, we read it in the Bible, we, we see it in our lives, we see it in the lives of others. So who needs forgiveness? The answer is every single one of us. We're all sinners in need of forgiveness from God. But the good news of the gospel is this. The good news is that God in John three sixteen he tells us his plan. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And in verse 17, the passage continues, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. You see, God knew that none of us were righteous on our own ability, so He sent His perfect Son, Jesus, to die on the cross in our place. Likewise, Romans teaches us the same thing. It says, But God shows His love for us and this, that while we were still sinners... While we were still sinners, that Christ died for us. See, Christ died the death that we deserve. Um, Jesus took on our penalty of sin on the cross. Romans 6.23, it says that the wages of sin is death. But again, it shares that plan. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Again, Paul explains it to the church in Colossae. He says this in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. You see, the Bible says that we must repent and believe that Jesus died in our place. Mark, the beginning of his gospel, records in chapter 1 the words of Jesus that Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. It's recorded in Acts chapter 20 that Paul spoke to the church in in Ephesus, the Ephesian elders, and there he said this, he said, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time From the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring uh, anything to you that was profitable and and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks. What? Of repentance toward God 
and of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So what does it mean to repent? It means to repent is to have a change of mind, a change of direction in your life. So if you're going this way in your life, you're in control, you're making your own decisions, you're doing what you want, you're living that life of sin, to repent means to do a 180, to go the other direction, to turn your life toward God, to change, to turn toward Him. You have a change of mind, a change of direction, a change of attitude, and a change of actions. You see, the gospel, it's freely offered to everyone, but it will cost you everything in the sense that you'll be willing to believe and repent to change your life. See, it's not about a fire insurance policy, about trying to avoid hell by just uh, trusting in Christ to get saved, to not have to go to hell. You see, it's it's about recognizing a true surrender to God, that you've messed up and that you can't do this on your own and that you need to turn and receive forgiveness of sins by turning, repenting to God. See, the gospel... It doesn't say that you have to get your life together. It doesn't say that you have to live perfectly and then God will save you. That's good news, right? We don't have to be perfect first. Um, We can confess our sins, repent, surrender to God, turn toward Him. Here's what it describes in Ephesians chapter 2. It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. See, it's about our faith, our belief in Jesus. Repent and believe. Faith and belief are, are synonymous words. So it's, it's about um, we're saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not as a result of works, those things you try to do so that no one may boast, right? We're not saved because we serve a lot in the church. We're not saved because we grew up in the church or our parents are believers. Or uh, We're not saved because we give money to the church. We're not saved because we even uh, serve somehow in the church. We're saved because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and our faith and our belief in Him. Jesus sacrificially died in our place. The death that we deserved, that by believing in Him, we have eternal life. If we look a few verses earlier in Ephesians, still in chapter 2, here's how Paul describes that at the beginning, that transition that takes place. He says, And you were dead, spiritually dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked. Remember, he's now writing this to the church, to believers. In which you once walked, again, referring there to the past, following the course of this world, that they're in charge of their own life, they're making their own decisions, they're doing their own thing, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Those are our own desires. We're going our own way still at this point. And we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But here's this repentance. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He's reminding them that it's the grace of God that they turned toward, that they went to because of his forgiveness. See, the gospel says that our sin separated us from God, that it separated us from God and that we're spiritually dead. But God uh, lovingly sacrificed Jesus on the cross so that we could receive forgiveness of sins and have new life in him. We just read it in John, in Acts, in Romans, in Ephesians, in Colossians. And here we are. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul is saying the same thing. So why does Paul uh, want to remind us of the gospel? 
because the gospel is the hope of our salvation. You see, Paul reminds us of these key tenets that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, that he rose from the grave on the third day, showing the power of, uh, of over, uh, the power and victory over sin and death so that we would never forget what Jesus has done for us. See, why must we not forget about forgiveness that is only offered through Jesus Christ? Because that forgiveness is our lifeline, right? You received forgiveness when you first believed and repented of your sins. The forgiveness is the hope in which we stand in today, which we walk in today. We live in right now today. And the Holy Spirit continues this process of sanctification in us today. We're a, we're a work in progress. Man, I'm thankful that God is still forgiving me of my sins today and, and still continuing to work. God is chiseling away, refining our hearts. I'm thankful that God is not done with me yet. See, God's forgiveness will also save us in the future until we take our last breath or until the Lord returns. That's the forgiveness that Paul is reminding them of the gospel because we live in it, we depend on it every day of our lives. We've got to preach it to ourselves every day so that we don't take it for granted. Here's the third thing that Paul, back in 1 Corinthians 15, he reminds them this, of the confirmation of the gospel. You ever go on a trip and you go to a hotel and you've got a reservation, when you go in there, what do you give them? You give them your confirmation number, that number that proves you've got a room, here's my number, right? Your confirmation number. Well, here's Paul's way of saying there's, there's numerous eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. There's lots of people that saw him after he rose from the grave, that talked to him after he rose from the grave. They shared meals together. And Jesus was with his disciples. You see, the, the gospel hinges on the resurrection. Uh, without the resurrection of Jesus, then um, he's still in the grave and we're still dead in our sins. So the gospel hinges on the resurrection. And Paul says in verse 5, here's his list of eyewitnesses. This is the confirmation to us of the gospel that he appeared at first. This is Jesus appeared after his resurrection to Cephas or to Peter. Then to the twelve, he appeared in verse 6 to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then in verse 7, he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. You see, we can read about uh, many of these appearances in the four uh, Gospels and, and the opening chapter of Acts. You can read almost uh, all four of the Gospels uh, have a resurrection appearance of Jesus. Some of them account a, new, a number of these that are listed right here by Paul. They tell us the events that took place. <clears throat> Excuse me. They, they describe the events that took place when Jesus interacted with those people. We know that uh, Jesus was around from the book of Acts. Acts tells us that Jesus was with them for 40 days after the resurrection, before the ascension. In those 40 days, he appeared to all these people, and we can see and read about those events in the end of the Gospels of each of them. They each describe um, some of those events that took place. So rightfully so, um, you know, the disciples, they were a different group of men after the resurrection, Right? You see, before the resurrection, um, they were scared, they were defeated, they were distraught, uh, they were saddened because Jesus had been arrested, there had been a trial, uh, Jesus had been um, found guilty, Jesus had been hung on a cross, he'd been crucified, Jesus had died, he had been buried, and they were defeated. They left defeated thinking that the Messiah was dead. 
But after the resurrection, they became a strong group of courageous men that were willing to go and share about the forgiveness of sins, about this gospel message, wherever they went. We read about two of those in, in, in Acts, right? So Paul, he's writing here um, about, to, to Corinth saying, about don't forget about the gospel. Because if you think it's not a big deal, then go and talk to some of these people. You can see how it changed the disciples' life once they experienced the power of the resurrection. They can, these eyewitnesses can certify, they can confirm what they saw. And so in, in verses five, to eight, uh, 5 through 8, that's Paul's confirmation of the reality of the proof of the gospel. As this passage ends, though, in verse, these last three verses, Paul reminds them of this, the calling of the gospel. Paul reminds them of the calling of the gospel. Listen to verses 9 through 11. He says this, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me, whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. You see, Paul recognized that the more he understood the picture of forgiveness of Christ in his life, and the more that he understood the picture of the gospel and what it offered, the worse off he saw himself. You see, the closer that Paul drew to Christ, the more aware of his own sinfulness he became. And so he considers himself the least of the apostles, um, because of the way he persecuted the church. Now to us, we know he wrote most of the New Testament, but he considered himself the least of the apostles. And so Paul makes two different points here in these last three verses. He says, first, recognize that the Spirit of God has called him to salvation. Um, even though he knows he's completely unworth it, uh, unworthy of it, he doesn't deserve it, that God's called him to salvation. He, he uh, says that, for I'm the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle. Because I persecute the church. But by the grace of God, it wasn't anything Paul did. It's by the grace of God, I am what I am. I am a believer in Christ, a Christ follower, because of what, what Jesus did on the cross. And I love this. He says, his grace toward me is not in vain. He explains this. Here's the second reason. The, that the call on his life um, was to be an ambassador for Christ. You see, the calling on our life, it, his wasn't in vain. Right? He, he didn't uh, believe in vain. In fact, it, it describes, he says this, On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, he, he didn't work hard to earn his salvation. I think this is James chapter 2 um, describing for us that, that faith without works is a dead faith. You see, he is working out that salvation by working hard to serve the Lord. You see, Paul's passion is proclaiming the gospel of forgiveness so that others may believe. Now listen to this. A genuine call to salvation leads to a genuine call to serving the Lord. I think that's key for our life. Let me say it again. A genuine call to salvation, what Paul's recognized, he's just told us about these two things. This call to salvation has led him to a call to serve the Lord. See, because this forgiveness we've received is so great, it changes who we are. We've repented, we've gone that other direction, and now we want to share it with others. We want to tell others about it, and we want to serve the Lord. Man, there's a, 
a number of different ways you can serve the Lord. You can share about His grace, but we're called to be faithful that this, this calling has led us to salvation and now it leads us to serving the Lord. The heart of the gospel is that God offers us forgiveness of sins. He offers us a new life, a new hope, a new eternal security, a new passion, a new purpose. Let us never get over the gospel that Jesus has forgiven us of our sins so that we can be made new, that we can walk in a new life with him. That's what God offers us. We were all dead, and he makes us alive. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your faith that you give us. We thank you for forgiveness. We thank you that, God, it's not by something we've done to earn salvation, but it's only by the bloodshed of Jesus on the cross. Father, we thank you for his sacrifice, for what he's done for us so that we can have new life in him. Lord, it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. This morning, I want to offer an invitation to you. The invitation is this. Maybe you haven't received that salvation. Maybe you haven't had that moment of conversion yet. The, the good news is, you can repent and believe this morning in the gospel. You can be justified this morning. What a great news that is. Man, I'm inviting you to, to turn and be justified by God this morning. Maybe you're a believer and you're recognizing, maybe you're just thankful for what God's done in your life. Maybe you just want to pray and thank God for what he's doing. Maybe you want to pray and confess some sin, confess and, and repent, and turn back to him. That's a continual daily process as we continue to live out our faith in sanctification. Maybe you just want to join our church. And this, your call to salvation has led you to a call to serve God. You can do that right here in this family, being a part of our church family. So come, respond to God faithfully however he's called you this morning. Let's stand and sing.
touch our generation. We are your people crying out in desperation. Lord, hear our cry. Come heal our land. Breathe life into these dry and thirsty
Thank you, Tim, for reminding us of the wonderful gospel. Thank you for uh, sharing the word with us this morning. We look forward to these next two weeks of this series on gospel-centered forgiveness. I want to share with you just a couple of events uh, coming up. Tomorrow night and Tuesday night are evaluations and orientation for upward basketball and cheerleading from 5 to 8. So would you help us spread the word about that? You have kids, grandkids, neighbor kids, 6 to 12 for basketball for boys and girls, ages 6 to 14 for cheerleading. They have to come to one of these two evaluations. Maybe you know an unchurched family near you that that would be a great introduction to our church. That's uh, tomorrow night and Tuesday night, Upward Evaluations. Two weeks from today is Halloween. Halloween's on a Sunday. We're doing Trunk or Treat on Halloween evening, on Sunday evening. We would love to have about 40 uh, families do a trunk. We have about 20 signed up at the Welcome Center uh, so far. For, so we're looking for about 20 more uh, families who would come. Um, five to about eight or, or so for trunk or treat. You get fed a hot dog uh, dinner and uh, you, you meet a lot of kids. You're worried about a lot of people. You can wear a mask on Halloween. Did you know that? You can wear a mask if you want to. So would you sign up? Help us uh, sign up at the Welcome Center. Come and um, be here for uh, trunk or treat. Uh, then I want to share with you tonight at 6 o'clock is a member meeting. Now that's sort of like what we used to call a business meeting, but a little bit more because we're going to share testimonies and reports to celebrate what God has done in our church as well as share an important recommendation from our deacons about future leadership of our church. So I hope you'll read that in the uh, newsletter last week or this week or just come tonight and we'll explain that. I'll be sharing about plans for the future. Deacons will be presenting this recommendation. We need every member to come. Others are welcome to come, uh, but if you're a member of our church, uh, we need you here, so we don't always meet on Sunday night. Would you make it a point to come tonight, 6 o'clock, right here? Um, appreciate you doing that. Uh, thank you for coming and being here today. If you're new, I invite you to go to the Welcome Center. It's to the left as you go out the doors, and uh, Tim will be there. Other staff members will be there. I invite you to stay for a connection group. Right now in a few minutes, we have our small groups that do Bible study. It's where you get to meet people in your age group. That's how we do discipleship here, so I hope you'll stay for a connection group. Uh, as you go, we invite you to continue to worship by giving on the wall next to the double doors as you exit are our offering boxes, and we worship by coming. We're giving God our presence. We worship by singing. We're lifting his name up. We worship by giving back to him from how he has blessed us. So thank you for your generous and faithful giving. Hope you'll worship by giving as you go. been great to be here today. Let's pray together as we go. Would you join me? Oh, Father, thank you that whatever we've done, wherever we've been, you love us and you forgive us through the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. We celebrate that truth. We thank you for what we've heard here today. Lord, we pray your blessing on these offerings. May they be used for your honor and your glory. Thank you for every person here, wherever they've come from, whoever they are. May they feel your presence today, your love, and your welcome in this place. Father, I want to take just a moment to pray for 17 missionaries in Haiti who were kidnapped by gang members yesterday in the capital city. Such strife and such gang control cities there. 14 adults, 3 children from America uh, leaving an orphanage there. We pray for their safe release and uh, we, uh, we 
reminds us to pray for that nation so torn since that earthquake by violence and unrest and poverty. And oh God, may they come to know, maybe even these these who have taken them captive, may they come to know the forgiveness that is possible through the name of Jesus Christ. It's in His name we pray your blessing upon these people today. Amen. Open the blind eyes, unlock the deaf ears, come to your people as we draw near. Hear us from heaven and touch our nation. We are your people, crying out in desperation. Open the blind eyes. Unlock the dead fear.